We've been talking about the church. We've been talking about the vision of the church. Uh, what's the church supposed to be? What's our Magna Carta? What's our purpose? Why are we getting together? And the way we're, that we're uh, articulating that is by talking about a lot of things the church ain't. Uh, a lot of myths of the church. Uh, mistaken ideas that people have about the church. A lot of odd ideas that people have about what the church is supposed to be. So we're looking at various myths about the church. Myth number one we saw several weeks ago was that uh, the church is there to meet your needs or to make your life a little better. And the truth is, we saw, that the church is not there to tweak your life a little bit. It's to offer you something that is greater than life itself. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Myth number two is that the church is a building. Everyone thinks about, say they're going to go to church, and they think about you know, building as being church. What we saw was that the church is not a building. The truth is that the church is a people. It's an organic unity among people, the called out ones, who belong to Jesus Christ. Myth number three is that uh, it's the job of religious professionals to do the ministry. The truth is that it's not the job of religious professionals to do the ministry. There aren't any religious professionals. There are just believers. And some believers are pastors. And their gift, gifting is to equip the body to do the work of ministry. The job of the ministry is, belongs to all of us who name the name of Christ. We're all ministers of Jesus Christ. Which means we all have to take ownership and responsibility for seeing the work of God get done. What I want to talk about this morning is the fourth myth, a fourth myth of, of the church. And it's, it's just this. The church is a collection of individuals. And this one is so pervasive. Uh, we just assume that what we do when we go to church and get together with the church is that we're a bunch of individuals here. We each have our individual lives and our, our individual jobs and our individual families and all the individual stuff. And for a brief moment, once a week or so, our uh, we, we, we parallel one another. We stand by one another. We worship the Lord together. We hear the Word together. But, but that's about as united as we get. We're just a collection of individuals. The truth in the Word of God is as, a, as opposite of that as it could be. The truth of the Word of God is that the church is an organism. An organism. Picture an organism. And in that organism there are a lot of cells. But the cells are not individual. They're all related together, and that's what makes that organism an organic whole. So it is the church. There is a profound, spiritual, mystical unity that unites all believers together. And it's real, and it's so important that we come to understand this. Uh, the theological way I'd say it is this. And I want to tell you this as I'm going into this message. Uh, there are times where I am kind of preaching more towards the heart to motivate people to get into action and things of that sort. And there'll be a little of that here. But there are other times where it's more of a teaching time. We believe in teaching the Word of God. Church is not a rah-rah rally where we're supposed to just get our ears tickled. It's about chewing on the deep things of the Word of God. And the stuff I'm going to be talking about here this morning is on one level profoundly simple, but on another level it's just profound. Uh, it's it, it's, it's uh, some of the deepest truths of the Word of God, and it's going to require you mentally wrestling with stuff. All right? So you're going to have to chew. Put on your thinking caps here. You're going to have to chew on this. Uh, it won't necessarily come easy, but it will be worth it. The theological way I'd state the organic unity of the church is this. The church is one united new humanity. Ephesians 2.15. Paul calls us the new humanity. In Christ. We're one in Christ. We're united in Christ. We're the new humanity in Christ. In Christ Jesus, which reflects the loving unity of the triune God. If we understand it rightly, what we'd see is this. The church is to be disunited. Our unity should reflect the unity of God Himself. 
The organic wholeness of the church should reflect something about the unity of God itself. In fact, it participates in that union, as we'll be saying a little bit later on. We'll be showing a little bit later on. And you say, give me a break. The church doesn't look anything like that. I mean, it ought to be the case that when people look at the church, they see something about the reality of God, the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of the triune God, the unity of the triune God. They ought to look at the church, and and it ought to evidence that kind of unity. And you're sitting there saying, give me a break. The church doesn't look at all like that. What it looks like is a collection of individuals. And sadly, you're right. I mean, you're, you're accurate. But that doesn't mean that the truth is not the truth, amen? Unless we hold up the truth as that which we're aspiring towards, we're never going to get there. The church is supposed to manifest this kind of loving unity that characterizes God Himself. Look what the Word says, Romans 5.5. 5. God's very own love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. The love that is God Himself, the love that is God Himself, God is love, First John 4, God is love. That love has been poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same love. And now it flows through us. The very same love that is God now is among us and unites us together. John 17, verse 20 uh, through 26. I love this passage. I've preached on it quite a bit. It is just so thick. And this is it says it all. Jesus is praying and he says this. I ask that they, referring to the church, I ask that they may, be, may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Stop for a second. Think on that for a second. In just the same way, Father, that I am in you and you are in me, I pray that they may be in us. Not a secondary kind of in us, but the same in us. The way they are in us is going to reflect the way that we are in each other. Cool. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. Father, May they reflect the unity that you and I have together. I want their oneness to be the same oneness as our oneness. I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is how the world is going to know that Jesus Christ is for real. When the church mirrors the love of the triune God, the world knows that there is a triune God. They know that Jesus Christ is sent from the Father. Know this. Also, just chew on this. His prayer is that his church would know that the Father has loved them even, even as, just as, the Father has loved Jesus Christ. You are loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son. And you can't get better than that kind of love. That's as unsurpassable, that is as intense, that is as passionate, that is as unconditional as love can be. It defines what love is. And right now, as you are in Christ Jesus by faith, you are loved by God with that very same love. Praise God. Somebody say amen. You couldn't be more loved than you are right this very minute. And as you grow in that, begin to love each other with that same love, and now the world begins to see that love and knows that that love is for real. I made your name known to them, or your character known to them. Why? So that the very same love with which you have loved me Maybe in them. The very same love, the very same love that characterizes God throughout eternity. That ecstatic, unsurpassable, joy-filled, unconditional, uh, unimprovable love, unwavering love, the same love that is God throughout eternity is in us, is towards us, and flows, flows, flows through us. And when that is the case, 
The church now is united with the same love that is God throughout eternity. The church is to replicate the triune God. And that couldn't be farther from the truth, or farther from the myth, I mean, the myth that the church is just a collection of individuals. Nothing could be farther from that than this truth. We are to reflect the very unity of God. Now, this isn't going to be easy, so we're going to need a lot of prayer. Need some people over there to cover me in prayer as I'm preaching? Raise your hands if you'll do that. And that's other Okay, need some people in the middle here to cover me in preaching as I'm preaching? All right. I need some people over here to cover me in preaching. Great. And continue that throughout the worship service. We need to just blanket this whole thing in prayer and ask that God's anointing will be here. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I pray that you'd open up our minds to just delve into this. This is just some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever found in your word. It's, it's some of the most mind-boggling stuff I've ever found in your Word. And I know this, God, that uh, my words are not going to express it. It, it. My pictures I'm going to draw aren't going to express it. But, Lord, I just pray that you'd use my silly words and my silly pictures to express it. Uh, Lord, you're the, you're the sufficiency here, not me. And so, God, use this, land on it, write it into our minds and into our hearts, and transform us to become, against everything our culture teaches, transform us to become the people who reflect the love of the triune God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give you a real treat here this morning. I can tell you this. Uh, I, they say that a picture is worth a thousand words, and, um, which means that my pictures are probably worth about ten. But uh, I, I'm going to draw some pictures here. Most of this message is going to be in pictures. I want to diagram some things for you here. And what I'm going to diagram really is, is, is nothing short of God's cosmic purpose for world history and for every individual in world history. How's that? Okay, I aim high. Um, because, see, I want to draw the big picture here. I want, I want to paint or draw with broad strokes so that we can begin to see the role that the church is supposed to play so that we can begin to see the nature of the church, what we're called to do, what we're called to be in the church. So it goes like this. Here's a picture of God. Do you know that way back in the 4th century B.C., way before the Trinity was ever revealed, Xenophanes, a Greek philosopher, said that God is a triangle? Isn't that wild? He had kind of an intuition there. Well, God is kind of like a triangle. Uh, there's a threeness to God. God is unsurpassable love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is full of love. In fact, He's more than full of love. Um, he didn't create the world because he needed the world, because he was lonely or anything like that, or that he needed someone to take care of a garden, all right? He could have done that himself. He created the world primarily to express, here's the creation, all right, to express the love that he already has. Like an artist creates, because there's, there's this passion to create inside of her, uh, you create to express what is already there. Or healthy parents, they have children not to try to fix the marriage, hopefully, they have children to express the love that is already there. So also God is full of love, full of joy, full of peace. And God wants to create a world to express who He is. And the way He's going to express it is by inviting others in to share on this. So what God does is He creates people. Now, this is Mr. Gumby. Nah, great. And He creates people with, let me use a different color here, a God-shaped vacuum. That's a little triangle there, see? A God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped hole in their soul, in their innermost spirit, actually. See, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, ingenious design. God loves to love. He wants to pour His love out. He wants the way that He pours His love out to reflect the love that He is throughout eternity. So He creates people who desperately need Him. 
We have, every human being has in the core of their being, an insatiable, non-negotiable need that will never go away, and that need is for God and nothing else. We're created to uh, need to feel important. We, we, we need to feel significant. We need to feel worthwhile. We need to feel loved, and we need to feel like we're not alone. Those are the most basic human needs that we have. And the only one who can fill that the way we're created to have it filled is God. The need is actually infinite. We're created with an infinite need for love, an infinite need for, for worth and significance. When you want to feel uh, significant and feel like your life's important, that's not an ungodly thing. That's a God-created thing. How you go about feeling significant may be very ungodly, but the fact that you need to feel really important and you need to feel you know, like your life counts to somebody, that's a God thing. And God, He wants to fill us. He wants us to fill this up. In fact, He doesn't only want to fill it up. He wants to more than fill it up. He wants to overflow it. So that it's uncontainable. God, Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that the fullness of God may be in you. The fullness of God. We're talking in Creator, capital C, God, capital G. Fullness, capital F. The fullness of the Creator God being inside of every human being. Wants to pour His life and love and significance into them. So now they overflow. They begin to do what God does. They express who they are by how they live. Do you know that God created human beings... Life is meant to be a dance. It's meant to be a celebration. Uh, it's meant to be an, uh, an artistic expression of who you are. It's meant to be a joy-filled af- uh, affair. Uh, we're, we're meant to express the fullness of who we are by how we relate, by how we create, uh, by everything we do. Life's meant to be a dance from the inside out. God wants to define us from the top down, and He wants us to live life from the inside out. Not always trying to get something we don't already have. I don't believe this. You guys are too good. He told me he was going to experiment with some stuff. Uh, not bad. Okay. Uh, whatever you want to do, feel free to express yourself, all right? Now, here's the deal. There are some non-negotiable needs, or there are some other needs that we have. I, just, I think you're distracting them. We also have social, we have psychological, we have physical needs that God doesn't meet, and that's why He gives us each other. They're genuine needs uh, that, that only another human being can meet. Um, we, we need human companionship and those sorts of things. So God gives us each other. In God's design, the fullness of life I get from Him would overflow towards you, and the fullness of life you get would overflow towards me. And in doing that, we'd meet the non-God needs in our life, the need for companionship and, and, and friendship and uh, reaffirmation and those sorts of things. Those are legitimate. They're real. But here's how it would work. God would pour His life into us. We'd pour it back into God as worship. And one of the ways we pour it back into God as worship is the way we love one another. Love is most fundamentally this. It's, it's affirming the worth of another. It's not a gushy feeling. It's not sentimentalism. Love is about, is, agape love is affirming the worth of other, others. So God affirms our worth as created beings of His. We then affirm His worth. This is what worship's all about. And we affirm the worth of each other. And now you can begin to see, look at this. There's, there's, there's like a new trinity that, that, that gets formed. Um, this is how human beings are to be made in the image of God. This is why in Genesis chapter 1, um, the, the Lord says, Let us make human beings in our image. He emphasizes the plurality there. Because it's as we are in communion with one another, 
receiving life from God, overflowing with life towards one another, receiving love from God and overflowing with love towards one another, that we mirror God. We image the triune God. See how that goes. We image the triune God. We reflect who God is as we are in community with one another. And then as we do that, then the Lord says, let us make human beings in our image and let them have dominion over the earth. Here's the earth. And we are to have dominion over, over this. When we receive life the way God wants us to have life, then we do what God does. He wants us to administrate His sovereign providence to a certain part of the cosmos, and that's the earth. So we were together supposed to have dominion over the earth. This is God's plan for world history. Human beings out of joy, out of fullness, receiving love, getting their innermost needs, their definition, met by God alone, and then overflowing out of the fullness of that towards one another, unconditionally overflowing in love towards one another, and thereby mirroring the triune God, and thereby having dominion over the world that God gave us to have dominion over. Unfortunately, as you all know, something called sin entered the picture. And what sin does is it just blocks this, this, this relationship uh, from happening. Let me start again. So here's sin. This is the law of sin and death. We turn away from God. We don't open the hole in our soul. You're going to have to get rid of me uh, in order so that they can... Oh, no, 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 you don't. Okay, I thought you were blocking something here. All right, so here's the love gets refracted. And now here's this human being, Mr. Gumby, who ha- still has this hole in the soul. It never goes away. That's, a, that's the essence of who we are. But now it's not getting met. You see, that's why they're sad. It's not getting met. Now, the, the need has got to get met. That's, this is the most fundamental thing about us. The need has got to be met. It's who we are. But if God's not meeting that need, now we've got to turn to other things to meet that need. And what are the other things? Well, look around. Anything. So, in fact, in Genesis 3, you'll see this. The essence of all sin, is, uh, the origin of sin and the essence of sin happens when Eve turns to something that is not God to fill the God need in her life. When she buys the lie that somehow she can do better than being full of God. When she buys the lie that that forbidden tree, uh, forbidden fruit has got something to offer her that God can't give. Now her eyes, instead of being focused on God, get focused on this out here. And that tree just represents everything in the world that we might possibly use to fill the hole in our soul. And it never works. For a lot of people in our culture, it, it maybe is money. Alright? If I just get enough money, I'm gonna be satisfied, I'm gonna be full. That's what life's really all about. For others, it might be sex. If I just have enough sex, have it good enough, have it off enough, then, you know, I'm really gonna have arrived. For others, it might be a nice house that they might have, or it might be their major bicep. This is a bicep, this is a hand, this is a... My name is Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay, see? Okay, so you're looking at your bice. You know, I mean, if I'm just strong enough, if I'm sexy enough, if people like me, if I got a big enough reputation, or if I climb the, the, the totem pole of success and get to the top, you know, if I finally arrive, then I'll have life. And this lie that comes right out of the Garden of Eden permeates our lives day and night through the media, through this entire world. Because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that Satan has control of the world. He uses the world to, uh, to deceive us and to reinforce the sin-death law that tells us that we can get life outside of, of, uh, of God alone. Not only that, but the way we treat each other changes. These pictures are getting worse, aren't they? Now, see, look at as it was really intended to be, I was supposed to overflow towards you and you were supposed to overflow towards me. But now that we've got nothing to overflow with, we're both running on empty, so what happens? Now I try to get my need met by you and you try to get your need met by me. You see? 
Uh, instead of going towards one another celebrating who we already are, we go towards one another desperate, desperately trying to get something we don't already have. And so human beings, instead of being centers of fullness, turn into vacuums, black holes. And we relate to each other on this basis. And we begin to perform trying to get our needs met. If I'm empty on the inside, well, then I might, you know, uh, get a little bit of life by trying to get you to think that I'm holy. Religion is one of the all-time great idols. This is all idolatry, by the way. Anytime you use something to meet a God need, it's idolatry. So I might try to make you think I'm religious. I might try to think you, make you think I'm holy and righteous. Or maybe I'll get life by having you think that I'm funny. Or maybe I'll get life by having you think that I'm good-looking. Or maybe, you know, I'll get life by having you think that I'm sexy or whatever. Or that I can draw good. <laughs> Probably not that one. But, you see, we relate out of a vacuum, and it causes tension, and it causes friction. Because people were never meant to meet the innermost needs of your life. We don't do God well. We really don't. We can hold it up for you know, a week or two, but we get exhausted, and in the end we fall short. Because we ourselves are finite human beings. The need you have for love and significance and importance in your life, nothing, not money, not sex, not power, not another human being can possibly meet. Only Jesus Christ can meet it. Amen? There's a hole in your soul. It happens like this. Single people listen up. Married people listen up. What happens is, is if we do something like this. I know that you, uh, you know, it's just a myth in our culture that you're going to find somebody that's going to meet every need in your life. And people do meet needs. I'm not against that. You, you need companionship and loneliness and physical needs. That's why God gave us marriage. You know, that, that's a legitimate need. And God's not going to meet your need for sex. Sorry. That, that, that's why He gave marriage, all right? There's legitimate needs. But the needs in the core of your being, another human being can't meet. But see, if the need's not getting met, we try to use the other person to do that. So in courting, this person, see, I know that you want fullness, and you're looking for fullness, and I, and I know that I'm looking for fullness. So we, we put on fullness. We put on togetherness. We put on what we think the other person wants to see. We create a facade. This person looks at this person's facade. Mr. Gumby looks at future Mrs. Gumby, uh, as, uh, looks at her fullness, and she looks at his fullness, and they get married, thinking, this person will make my life. This person will meet my needs. It's going to be wonderful. We'll live happily ever after. Do you remember the Righteous Brothers song? Uh, what was that sappy, sappy song they used to sing? You're my life and my heart's inspiration. You're all I need to get me by. Without you, baby, what good am I? What good am I? You never close your eyes. Okay. <clears throat> this guy seriously needs a life, you know. Uh, you know... Without you, baby, what good am I, brother? You know, that's not going to sell very many women. They're looking for fullness here, you know. I got no life. Will you be my life? You know, it just it doesn't sell well. Most of us know better, and, and, and so we put on a fullness. Now, he looks at her fullness and says, I love you. She looks at it, and his fullness says, I love you. And what they mean is you're going to meet my needs. And it takes about three months of marriage, maybe four, before you realize that that ain't going to happen. What you have here is, is Mrs. Black Hole marrying Mrs. Black Hole, and that just makes one big black hole. Yeah. And everybody's disappointed. Everybody's disappointed. And then they have kids that try to fill it. You know, it's just, uh, it doesn't work that way. You get two vacuum cleaners going at full strength. You know, there's a certain suction there, but nothing of significance is going to be happening. You know, no dirt's going to be getting picked up. Well, this is how it goes in life. So we, we relate to each other out of a desperate center rather than a celebration center, you know. And, and there's a lot of ways we can do that. that. That's one way we do it in, in marriage and courting. But there's a million other ways. Getting life from things, getting life from people, performing all the time. And it never really satisfies. 
One way of getting life is by having power over others, by feeling superior over to others. Why do people gossip so much? Well, by tearing somebody else down, I'm getting a little bit of life. I'm, I'm feeling kind of important. The need to feel important isn't wrong. The way you're going about feeling it is really sick. You see? This person here is, is feeling insignificant, so they may be hit upon this idea. This is as old as, as, as uh, uh, the day is long. Is that the America? How you say in America? I forget. But uh, this is an old one. Uh, uh, you know, if, if uh, I need to feel significant, so you know what? I'm white, and that makes me significant. And you're not white, so that makes you insignificant, so I can have power over you. And my way of thinking is better than your way of thinking, and my way of singing is better than your way of singing, and my way of doing culture is better than your way of, of culture. What are you doing there? You're, you're out of a pathetic center trying to suck a little bit of significance. So people have power over one another, and that's why we've got wars and all this conflict. God's wonderful ideal for humanity falls apart. The marriage covenant. Classic example. God created Adam and Eve to reflect the unity and love and equality that He eternally is. Okay, they were together to be in the image of God and bring forth children. But what happens in the light of the fall is, is now we're not getting life from Christ, so we've got to start getting it from each other, and that turns it into a power struggle. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the Lord says this, Because of the fall, because of the sin, now Adam, you're going to be ruling over Eve, and Eve is going to be desiring you. Read it, Genesis 3, 16. And when the word there for Lord over means to tyrannize. It's not a good word. And the word for desire there means to manipulate. In the next chapter, it's used of sin. Sin desires you. It's to control. So what you have here historically is women trying to control the man. The man actually, because of superior strength, controlling the woman. And this beautiful thing that should reflect God now reflects some, something of Satan, doesn't it? It's a power struggle. And the sad thing is a lot of Christians hold that up as the ideal for marriage. Uh, you know, Genesis 3.16, oh yes, uh, I, the man's supposed to rule the woman, the woman's supposed to desire to serve the man. You know what? Um, Genesis 3.16 isn't the ideal. It's what we're to be going away from. You know, uh, that's not what God had planned. God's plan is for there to be love in the whole thing. Where there's not a power struggle. You're not trying to get one up on, on each other. In fact, if you read uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, submit to one another. In a, in, a, in a godly marriage where your needs are met for Jesus Christ, now you pour your life into the other. You flow out towards one another, and you seek to come underneath the other person. Rather than trying to claw up to the top, which is what the fall is all about, now you try to submit under, under one another. And this is the way, now you begin to reflect the beauty of the triune God. If that was the end of the story, it would be a very sad story, but it's not. Because here's what happens. Man, you are good. Uh, uh, not me, uh, uh, Brian, who's, who's, who's running this thing. Okay, thank God for this. Amen? Look at this. Thank God for this. Hallelujah. The cross breaks the law of sin and death. The cross breaks the curse of sin and death. Jesus Christ paid the price, so Jesus Christ reopens up the avenue for the flow of God's life to come in us and for the flow of God's life to go through us. Uh, now in Jesus Christ, the whole in our soul can be once again met the way it's supposed to be. Now in Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus Christ, it's possible, though we are yet fallen and we yet struggle with sin, to have the fullness of God working in you and flowing through you, praise God. And now God is recreating humanity according to His original tent, but He's doing it through the cross. As you receive, uh, receive life in Christ, Jesus says this, whoever believes in Me, out of their innermost belly shall flow rivers of living water. You're going to gusher forth life, praise God. This is what the Bible calls Zoe life. 
Can you get filled in Jesus Christ? And now you can begin to do once again what God does, and that is overflow with love towards one another. Now you're in a position where in the core of your being, you can live life out of celebration rather than out of desperation. Now you can begin to love people unconditionally. If they treat you nice, you can love them. If they don't treat you nice, you can still love them because you're not relating to them on the basis of what you can get from them. That's what the Bible calls the flesh. That's the fall. Now we relate on the basis of what we can ascribe to them. And love is about ascribing worth. In, 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 in the new community, in the new humanity, now we are to be getting life from God through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's to look just like it looked in the original creation. I overflow with love towards you. You overflow with love towards me. You see how this goes? And... Um, uh, we, we, we meet each other's non-God needs, the need for companionships, the need for human uh, solidarity. The, uh, we share wisdom together. We share life together. We erupt in praise towards God as He fills us. Uh, we ascribe worth to God. We ascribe worth to each other. In fact, ascribing worth to God is part of ascribing worth to each other and vice versa. Did you know that? You can't have the love of God in your life and not have it flow through you because God's love isn't contained. By definition, it flows. This is why the Bible says in, in uh, uh, Romans 5.5, 5, He's poured out His love into our hearts. This is why it says in 1 John, it says that if anyone says that they love God, but don't love their neighbor, uh, they are a liar. And that, and that anyone who knows God is going to be loving their brothers and, and sisters. This love has got to flow. The love has got to expand. And folks, this is the church right here. This is the church. This is, this is the new community. This is the unity. Because now, look at this. Now we begin to reflect once again the triune God. See that triangle there? We begin, to ref- we, we begin to model who God is. The very same love that characterizes God now flows in our life. The very same love that characterizes God now flows through our life. And we begin to love each other as God is love, praise God. And now the world can begin to see that Jesus Christ is for real. This is why everything about the church, everything about the church, is, it's, the, it's the opposite of a collection of individuals. The church is about reaching up. That's about praising God, ascribing to Him worth. It's about reaching in. Okay, that's about loving one another, uh, reflecting God's love. And it's about reaching out. Because now, once again, we have dominion over the world. Okay, when you, when you get the life that God is, you start to do what God does. And God wants to administrate His providence through us. Only now what we have dominion over isn't just the earth. We have dominion over principalities and powers and rulers and authority in dark places, praise God. We have dominion over unbelief. We have dominion over sickness. We have dominion over war and strife and racism and every other, every other barrier that, that sets people apart. As we are the church, as we do what we're called to do, as we just let God's life flow in us and get formed in us, we begin to take captive every thought and the kingdom of God begins to expand. One of the ways it expands is by taking captive unbelief, which is why Jesus said, Father, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one, that the world may know that you are for real, that the world may know that, I, that you are sent from the Father. See how that works? And when we do that, we're taking dominion over unbelief. Praise God. In fact, now you've got to really put it on your thinking caps. One more here. It gets even better. Because the, 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 the even deeper truth of the Word of God is this. It's not just that here's the cross coming down to us. All right? That's true. We got, there's one mediator between God and man. But if we've really sought for what it is, the Bible says we are in Christ. Did you know that? We are in Christ. The cross isn't something simply that we go to. The cross is something that we are in. Come on. Are you following me here? 
We are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says we are righteous in Christ Jesus. We are holy in Christ Jesus. We are grafted into Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, praise God, far above all principalities and powers. That's how we have dominion. In fact, all that we are, we are by virtue of our participating in the reality of Jesus Christ. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His holiness becomes our holiness. His life becomes our life, praise God. Paul says this in Romans 6, I wish... We could just deal with it now, but we don't have the time. But read that. It says that, we, we, that we, when Christ died, we died. If you, if you take Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord and Savior, His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. And His life to God is now your life to God. We are right now, Paul says, the life we live, we live in Jesus Christ. And there's no sin there now. Our life is towards God. It is pure. It is spotless. It is passionate. And as Christ has that, we have that because we are in Christ. And now you begin to see what Jesus meant when he said, I pray that they may be in me and I in them. John 17. He meant it literally. We're in Christ Jesus. We're, and I get the, the, like the idea of, of someone who loves someone so much that they just squish them into their being. <clears throat> you, know, you just graft them in. You become one. And that this is kind of what happens in the marriage context. You become one flesh. And God says that that reflects His image. That's how He is one. So also we are one and we become one in Him. Praise God. One more truth. Can you take one more? Uh, Paul said in, in, in Romans 5, 5 that the love of the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in our hearts. Okay, It's poured into us and flows through us. We are not only in Christ, we are in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has, has, it, it flows through us. We participate in the love that is the Holy Spirit, just like we participate in the love that is Jesus Christ. And so you, you can think of it this way. The whole triune God now sort of envelops us. Father, the, here's the love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now the, we become participants in that. We are not the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but He invites us in on the dance, praise God. This is God's waltz. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternal, ecstatic, unsurpassable, perfect, joy-filled love throughout eternity. And now He invites us in on that. That's why it says in 2 Peter 1, 4, we are made participants. Anyone know the rest of the verse? In His divine nature. We become participants in His divine nature. We're never God. It's a good thing because it's more beautiful that we're not. Because we get to participate in the love that God is. Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and they and us, that the world may know that you have sent me. The, the, the most incredible thing here is this. The very love that is God now envelops us. It's like, I almost get a picture like this is a river, if you will, flowing in, in, in this threefold way, and we get caught up along for the ride. We go to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.18, I just got that one. We go to the Father. We're caught up in the love that is God Himself throughout eternity. Friends, the church is not a collection of individuals. If we dig down and get to the profound truth of what it is in the Word of God, it is the most incredible organic unity because it is an organism, if you will. It is the body of Christ. We are as one. We are as one as Jesus Christ is one. We are as one as the Holy Spirit is one. We are as one as the triune God is one. And we are one in the very same way. In fact, we participate in that very same oneness, praise God. God. And you can chew on that. That's, that's good theology, praise God. And it's glorious. It's beautiful. It's wonderful stuff. Amen. Amen. That's what the church is called to be. So that now, this is why when the non-believer, when this is happening, the non-believer looks at this new humanity and see, they have a hole in their soul. Remember? They have a hole in their soul. 
And they've maybe tried the money, and they've tried the sex, and they've tried the fame and whatever, and it's not getting met. When they look at this, see, they're actually seeing the love of the triune God in our midst. And there's something in their soul that says, that fits. That fits. That's the triangle I'm looking for. That's what I'm hungry for. You know, it doesn't happen through a track. It happens by, by being the reality that God calls us to be. What it means is this. We've got to love one another. We've got to love one another like crazy, like mad, like insanity I'm talking about. Let me, let, me, let me close with two applications. Application number one, get life from Jesus Christ. None of this works except to the extent that you get life from Jesus Christ. If you're not getting life from Jesus Christ, if the core of your being isn't being met by virtue of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're hungry. And when you're hungry, you can't help but relate to the world and to other people out of a hungry mode. You will be feeding yourself by other people, getting life. You can't love unconditionally unless you go into the relationship with a fullness. One of the sickest, saddest, unfortunate things is when you get pastors who still have a hunger in the soul. Because now the whole congregation is there to feed them. We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. It, 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 it gets bad. You, you, you have to have a fullness on the inside if you're going to relate unconditionally and mirror who God is in terms of how we relate to other people. Get life from Jesus Christ. You say, how do I do that? Well, you're made in the triune being and it involves, you're made in the image of the triune being and it involves all three parts of you, uh, body, soul, and spirit. In your spirit, which is the core of who you are, you just simply will the truth. Submit your life to Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Every nook and cranny, turn it over to Him and say, God, I need your fullness. God, I need your life. God, I need your joy. Lord, I just need you to be, to, to, to be, to be the definite, to define who I am. I submit everything to you. You will the truth. Now, even after you will the truth, your brain is still conditioned by this fallen world. And so your brain's still used to operating in a desperate, hungry mode. So you need to take every thought captive. That leads to the second thing. In your soul, which is about your, 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 which is about your thoughts and emotions, in your soul, think true thoughts. You will truth, now think the truth and think it continually. Make it a new autopilot in your brain. I'm talking like this. When you're mowing the lawn, when you're driving in the car, and when you're just sitting around, you, you, you think true thoughts. I am filled with the fullness of God, Ephesians chapter 3. I am loved with an everlasting love. God rejoices over me. He dances over me. He sings over me. I am the one lost coin. I'm the one lost sheep. I'm the prodigal son who's returned they have a party for. The fullness of God flows in me right here and right now. I am loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son. God's joy that is unspeakable is inside of me. God's peace that passes understanding radiates through me. The power in Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. Praise God. Nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ, not height nor death nor principality of power. I am locked into Jesus Christ. I'm incorporated into Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm redeemed. I'm spotless. I'm holy. I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And on, 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 on. And as you're thinking that, as you're thinking that, if, that, if your brain is absorbed, now I'm going to tell you something. You, you can't stay depressed for very long. Not with that stuff on your brain. You see, but this is about being defined by the top down and the inside out. When you let your circumstance define you, well, now you're going to be thinking about all sorts of stuff. But as you turn your mind to Jesus Christ, it's like this. You've got the river here, but the river gets corked by all, of your un, by all of your untrue thoughts. To the extent that you align your mind with your spirit, now the river flows, you see. And now you begin to experience it, you begin to walk in it. Will the truth, think the truth, thirdly, act the truth. This is a matter of obedience. Whether you feel like it or not, you start acting it. And see, when you act it, when you start obeying God and loving like He calls us to love, now that reinforces the thought process. And the more you do it, the more power you have to do it. Uh, and the more power you have to do it, the more you do it. That's how the thing grows forward, you see. So you, think, you, you will the truth, you, you think the truth, you act the truth. And here's how it applies to us. Here's my second point. Worship team, get ready to come up here because I'm going to wrap it up. How, what does this look like for us? What does this look like for us? Well, here's a start. 
love one another. The Bible says this about 46 times. I've got some verses that I'm not going to have a chance to get to them. But love one another. Jesus said, I, Father, I, I, I give these, these commandments to them that they, may, that they may love one another with the love that I have for them. The same love that Christ has for us is to be in one another. Just be thinking, how can I love that person? Even here in this large group congregation, how can I love that person? How can I show love? How can I pour myself? How can I affirm their worth as a, as a, a being who has infinite value because they're created by God and saved through Jesus Christ? How can I affirm them? And you can do it a million ways. You can do it by offering up your seat to somebody who's standing. You know, that shows love. Simple thing. You can do it by parking off-site and walking here so that people who have trouble walking can park closer. That's an act of love. You know, you, you, you can show love in a lot of right, when, when you're when you're leaving the parking space, a parking lot. You do it by showing love by letting the person go forward or whatever. A couple of weeks ago, we had somebody who actually flipped someone off with a bird. You know, I'm not going to illustrate it here, but they, they they gave him you know the bird. If you know what that is. Uh, that's not love, okay? That, that's not what we're looking for. You know, it's just kind of sad. You, you leave church and then, you know, we have road rage in the parking lot. Well, you know, listen, we get all sorts of people here. You know, don't judge the church by what that one person did. You're going to get that. But the thing is, is we've got to show love in practical ways here. Show love by, by reaching out and greeting people, welcoming them, making them feel at home here. Go out of your way. Be bold. You know, bring them in. Especially people who don't look like you, for which the culture has had a lot of walls put up. Break those walls down. The church is all about breaking down walls and building bridges. Amen? That's what this is all about. Wherever there's a wall, we want to tear it down. Wherever there are people that aren't connected, we want to connect them. Connecting people with Jesus Christ, connecting people with each other, connecting people with God purpose for their life, tearing down the walls, building the bridges, do it here. Reach out. And then as the Lord leads, maybe develop friendships here. The Bible, you know, throughout throughout Scripture, the the emphasis was on being in covenant communities, being in small groups. You can't be intimately in love with everybody in this congregation, but maybe you can be with four or five or ten people, a small group. And a lot of you have small groups, but a lot of you don't. And I just want to encourage you to be open to that. Invite someone over to your house. Have some fun together. Go out together. Uh, You know, break bread together. Uh, Then maybe pray together. Invite them in on your life and see what happens there. As a church, I'll tell you this. We want to help people get plugged into small groups, and we are way behind. We got overloaded last year. We, we don't have enough small groups to go around, and we're, we're now raising up leaders. In fact, if you will lead a small group, Kevin Johnson wants to hear from you. We need more leaders for small groups, but the church isn't equipped to help people anymore right now for about the next six months with that. But don't wait for us to get our act together to do it. You don't wait for government to get their act together before you, you do stuff, do you? Well, don't wait for us. Let God lead you. Reach out, touch one another, form groups, start uh, doing communion together with one another, uh, being in communion with one another. And this is how the body of Christ is woven together. Praise God. And then we reflect the love of the triune God. as The Holy Spirit is poured in us and flows through us towards one another. We get woven together, cell by cell, group by group, congregation by congregation. And now the world begins to see that Jesus Christ is for real. That's what the church is. Not a collection of individuals. No, 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 no. We are organically united. We are brothers and sisters. You know that? We're part of a whole new human race. We're incorporated in the same Christ Jesus. we got to worship God. Uh, with the worship team, co- there you are. Man, these guys are good. Praise God. When God's love is poured in us, the natural response, the inevitable response, the necessary response is to pour it back to Him. And so the, love is about ascribing worth. How much is God worth? Everything. So we're going to pour our everything into worshiping Him. We'll start by saying seated for a song. If the ushers would come forward, we worship God with our offering. Worship isn't just about words. It's about, it's about giving sacrificially to the Lord. Praise God. And so we give back a portion of what He's given to us. If we were singing it straight, we saw this last week, 
You'd be begging me to take up the offering. Why? So you can have a chance to participate in ministry. There's nothing else on this planet that you can invest in, the stock of which will not sooner or later go down. In fact, this stock keeps on going up and up, and it goes on throughout eternity. It is how the Lord runs His ministry. We further the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness by sacrificially giving together. That's an act of worship, and then we pour ourselves out in praising Him. So, Father, as we do this now, we focus on You. We ask that Your Spirit would land here in Your fullness, in Your power, in Your joy. Grab our chins, look into our eyes, and help us, Lord God, to worship you with all that we are as we participate in the cosmic dance, the dance of the triune God. We party with you now in Jesus' name. Amen.